0: But today, we're kind of in the second half. We're starting into chapter 3 here today. Chapter 2, Paul was talking about relationships inside the church. And then, as chapter 2 goes on, he talks about relationships outside of the church. And so he gives some instructions on how to do relationships. And chapter 3 starts off with more instructions, but it starts off with a warning. Now, in life, we have all kinds of warnings, Like, don't eat yellow snow. Or, beware of dog. Or like, if you ever go to Peggy's Cove. Now, I have a confession to make. I think I've been to every single community in Nova Scotia. Like, I've been in and out of every small little community you can imagine. But I've never been to Peggy's Cove. But, I am told... There are signs. Stay off the black rocks. Okay? So in life, there's all kinds of warning signs that we have to avoid some terrible consequences. And in our faith, there's also warning signs for us to be watchful and to heads up and watch out for certain specific things as we try to figure out how to follow Jesus. And if we don't follow the signs, often there are terrible consequences. Now, the book of Proverbs, if you read the first section of Proverbs, there's warnings in Proverbs to not follow certain people in certain relationships. And if you want to find out more about that, read the first few chapters of Proverbs. Because, and it goes on and on about the consequences of hanging around with certain people. And Scripture all throughout it gives instructions and warnings to stuff that we need to just be watchful of and be on guard about. Well, chapter three starts off with a warning. Some translations say the word, watch out, look out. And so that's kind of we're gonna dive into chapter three as it kicks off with this warning. Y'all ready? Chapter three, just a couple verses today. Look out for the dogs. Look out for those evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision. Who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then Paul goes in to talk about all the reasons he has to boast about his own good works. Um, but I want to camp out on those two verses, three verses. And in particular, I want to talk about two aspects of these two verses tonight. So the first dimension is learning how to look out for dogs. We're going to spend some time talking a little bit about that tonight. Learning, what does it mean to have healthy discernment as it relates to both teaching and people, okay? The second dimension that we're going to talk about is this idea of circumcision that comes up in the scripture. And that's a weird word for us to say the least. But the heart of the teaching around what God does in our heart through Jesus is so powerful. And we're going to talk a little bit about that at the latter part of the message tonight. But the first thing is this idea of look out for dogs. Look out for for dogs. Now, just to help kind of lay some groundwork to understand what Paul was talking about here in Philippians, you have to have a little bit of understanding of Jewish culture. So for Jews... Before they come to faith in Jesus and they were living in the old, under the Old Testament law, circumcision was part of them following the law to have a right relationship with God. If you want to just circle back to our podcast and listen to our sermons on the book of Romans, you'll have a way better understanding of because we unpack that in great detail. But the Coles Notes version is that circumcision was a way in which Jewish people maintained a right relationship with God. It was part of their law, and it was a works-based thing. It was, you do so many things, and you end up having a right relationship with God. The problem was this. Jewish people were coming to faith in Jesus, and because of their Jewish understanding and upbringing, they thought that Jesus plus obeying all the law equals salvation. I'm saved. I have a right relationship with God. And Paul has a huge problem with this. Because salvation is not based on any good work that we can do. It's based simply on the work Jesus Christ did on the cross. He did all the work. There's no good works that we add that equals salvation. He did it all. And Paul was concerned because it was actually weakening the power of the cross. Now, Paul in Philippians just writes a few verses about it and challenges the church in Philippi. Paul sends a whole letter to the church in Galatians dealing with this specific issue. Because people were saying, you needed to have Jesus plus obey all the laws to have a right relationship with God. And Paul's saying, that is dead wrong. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not based on your good works. Good news based on our good works, is no good news at all. We couldn't do it before to have a right relationship with God, and we can't do it now. It's all based on what Jesus has done. So in today's culture, you'll hear a lot when people think about their relationship with God as you kind of bring up conversations. And as you start to have conversations with people about God, what's one of the first things that people often say? Well, I'm a good person. And that's our attempt to thinking that our good works actually get us a right relationship with God. It doesn't. Nothing we can do in and of ourselves gives us a right relationship with God. A right relationship with God comes through faith in Jesus alone, by his grace. We don't deserve it. And so Paul here is trying to say, there's dogs out there, and they're teaching you, that you need Jesus, plus you'd have to jump through all these hoops to have a right relationship with God. Paul's saying, they're dead wrong, and he's calling them dogs. Like bad kinds of dogs. Now, I know some of y'all are dog lovers. He's not talking about the ooey-gooey, cuddly ones. He's talking about the nasty ones. The ones that'll bite you. That's what Paul is talking about here. Now, one of the problems with this kind of teaching is it creates what's called legalism. Now, legalism is this idea that we have to jump through all these hoops and do all these certain things to be a Christian. How many people in our community over the last 75 years have been turned off of the church because they felt like they had to do all these things to belong? Mm. Legalism is one of the greatest turnoffs for people that don't go to church. Because they think in their head, I have to dress a certain way and behave a certain way and do all these certain things for God to love me. That is dead wrong and it's not the gospel. That's why Paul was getting so worked up. That's why I get so worked up. Because there's no much more damage that's been done to people having their mentality thinking, I've got to have everything together to come to church. You don't. You just come as you are. God does not look at outward appearance. What does he look at? The heart. The heart. He's looking at the heart. doesn't matter about the outward appearance. He looks at your heart. And God, in his wisdom, knew that if he could fix your heart, it would fix everything else. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible also teaches us to, above all else, to guard your heart, for from it from flows the issues of life. It's why Jesus was so direct with the religious leaders. The religious leaders were so concerned about the outward appearance, and he had some very startling words for them. This is what he said. He said, "Woe to you." In other words, there's consequences for you guys. Scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside, in your heart, you're full of greed and self indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. You see it? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. But within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others. But within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Whew. You see, Jesus knew the way to fix the outward appearance is to get to the root. He said, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean." Fix the heart, and it fixes everything. The problem was with these folks, they weren't aware they had a problem, and all the people didn't have the ability to clean the inside of the cup or the plate. They didn't have that power and ability in and of themselves, which is why we need the gospel. Good works will never, ever, 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 ever clean the inside of our cup. Ever. It just can't happen that way. There's 4,000 years, 5,000 years of history of people trying to clean the inside of the cup on their own. It just doesn't work. We need supernatural intervention. And we'll come back to that in a moment. I want to camp out on this idea of looking out for the dogs. You know, there are all kinds of false teaching that exists in the world as a Christian. There's all kinds of stuff out there that is to try to Turn you away from God, turn you away from what the Bible actually has to say. It is all over the place. Let me give you some examples. If I'm a good person, I'll get into heaven. If I follow Jesus, God will make me rich. God loves me just the way I am so I can live however I want. This old idea of self esteem, that we're perfect, we're broken. (laughs) This idea of, like, I can use God to get whatever I want. Or this idea that I don't need the church, it's just me and Jesus by ourselves. And then I don't even have time today to kind of unpack how misinterpreted things about the end times and how much damage that's caused. There is all kinds of false teaching out there, and if you want to find some, which I don't recommend you doing, it's all over YouTube. There's all kinds of false teaching and stuff that's actually not true. The Bible says to watch out for this stuff. It's all over the place. And what's interesting about that is most of us would like pick up on the fact that something doesn't line up with Scripture. But we believe in a real literal devil. And what he does is he takes a little bit of truth and he twists it just slightly. A little bit of the gospel, like this whole idea of works. A little bit of the gospel and twists it a little bit. And he often will use people... To kind of help that teaching to get out there so that we listen to it. It's like, it's, it's, it's the way that the enemy works. And so there's a few, few things I want to give you to help you understand when you're approached with something that doesn't sit well with you. To kind of help understand how you deal with teaching. That sounds funny. The first thing you need to do, ask question you need to ask is, does this teaching line up with the scriptures? I tell people all the time. What does the Bible say? That is the number one question you should be saying anytime you hear a preacher, a teaching, anything that sounds out there. The first question you need to ask yourself is, what does the Bible say? The second question you need to ask is, what is the Holy Spirit telling you? Do you have reservations? Is there a a check in your spirit, sometimes people say. Does something feel off within you? And the third thing is, what does spiritual leadership or those that are mature in the faith around me, what do they have to say about this particular issue? So you have the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and the counsel of the body of Christ. You know, this past week I had someone bring me a book because they weren't sure if it checked out. And I looked over it, it checked out. It's all good. But that's like a healthy thing to do, to make sure that there's not something that's going to lead you astray. Watch out for dogs, the Bible says. Now, before we put unnecessary labels on people and start calling everyone different dog names, there's a caveat to this. We have to understand that it's not merely people that are at work here spreading false teaching. Right? The Bible says it's not flesh and blood that we wrestle against, but powers and principalities and spiritual forces in high places. These dogs that Paul's talking about are either consciously or unconsciously controlled by the power of the evil one. And Satan uses people to pull us away from Jesus or to distort and twist the gospel and to discourage us. And so we need discernment when we encounter someone that's like this. So some great questions to ask are very similar. When you encounter a person that something just doesn't feel right about a particular person. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you about an interaction with this particular person? Is he giving you any flags? Is there any checks you have in your heart? Is the person saying something that actually goes against what Scripture says? Because if it does, don't receive it. And then, does my pastors or spiritual leaderships have any concerns about this person's activity in my life? Here's the crazy part, is that Satan sometimes uses the most unlikely people in our lives. The Bible teaches us that Satan appears as an angel of light. He appears as being something good. He's even like hard to recognize, and sometimes he can even use people that are really, really close to us. Think back to Jesus for a second. Think about Judas. Actually, think about even closer to Jesus. Think about Peter. What did Jesus say to Peter when Peter tried to stop him from going to the cross? Get behind me, Satan, for you have in your heart not the things of God, but the things of man. Sometimes the enemy can even use the people closest to us. Now, I'm not recommending you calling your wife, your best friend, or your spouse Satan, okay? Probably won't go so well at home. But I am here to tell you this. Sometimes the enemy will try to use the relationships closest to you because often we don't see it coming. There's a quote that I read this week that a man who is surprised has already lost half the battle. And sometimes the enemy can use people that we rub shoulders with every day. And it's not you against them. You're in a spiritual battle. It's a reality and truth of the scriptures. And God wants us to teach us how to look out, how to be watchful, how to watch out. Now, there's some of you that there's certain relationships in your life you just have to draw some lines with. And it doesn't mean, like, you won't rub shoulders with them, you won't see them, you don't interact with them, but some of us need to actually control the access and influence some people have in our lives. I was thinking of some of the youth that are here today, and there's people that are influencing you in a negative way. And you have the power and ability to control the influence and access they have on your life. And so you need to draw a line. Now, I'm not just speaking to the youth here because there's adults in this room that there's people that have an influence on your life that's actually pulling you away from Jesus. The enemy is using them to have a negative impact on your life and it's not an unchristian thing to do to draw a line. The Bible says bad company corrupts good behavior. That's not to say that you don't pray for them Bless them, want to see them come to faith in Jesus or want to see them kind of change their life. But if they're negatively influencing you, you need to draw a line. One of the things that I found helpful to me is that if someone is pulling you away from a relationship with Jesus, you need to control the access they have to your life. So, what do I do with a dog? What do I do with someone that's taking me away from Jesus? What do you do with a nasty dog? Put him in a fence and put the door handle on the outside. So you control the access they have in and out of your life. They don't control the access they have. You control the access they have. Now, let me just be clear here. That doesn't mean just because you don't like someone that you can put them in a fence and control the access they have, okay? I'm talking about people that are detrimental to your walk with Jesus. God wants to bring people that rub us the wrong way into our lives all the time to help us with our growth process. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people the enemy is using to discourage you and take you away from Christ. You need to draw some lines. You need to build some fences. And make sure when you build that fence... You leave the door handle on the outside so you control the influence they have on your life. Am I hitting home here tonight? What's that called? It's called being discerning. It's not being judgmental or critical. It's being discerning knowing that there's people that have motives that are wrong. Jesus said he didn't trust himself to man because he knew what was in their heart. Jesus discerned The evil desires of men when they wanted to make him king, and I believe it's uh, John chapter 2, he discerned what was in their heart. It's not being critical or judgmental. It's not unchristian to do. It's being discerning. And discerning, discernment, is this idea that we're able to discern when something's from God and something's from man or something's from the evil one. God wants all Christians to learn how to be discerning. How to know when... The enemy is using someone to discourage us. Now, sometimes that comes in the form of a gut feeling. Have you ever had like a gut feeling and you're like, man, something feels off about this person or this situation? Well, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, oftentimes that's actually the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you and helping you to discern what to do in a certain situation or how to deal with a difficult person. One thing that I found really helpful when you're discerning a particular relationship and what to do is to have mature Christians that you can bounce it off of. Saying, this is kind of what I'm feeling or sensing. Am I like off base here or does that sound accurate? You need those relationships in your life to help you discern what you should do in certain relationships. Now, discernment is a spiritual gift. Some people in this room have the spiritual gift of discernment. But we're all called to be discerning. Just like not everyone in this room has the gift to be an evangelist. Or not everyone in this room has the gift of serving. But we're all called to share our faith, right? We're all called to share our faith, right? Okay, just checking. We're all called to serve one another in love, right? But some people have the spiritual gift of serving. And some people have the spiritual gift of discernment. But we're all called as Christians to learn how to be discerning. To learn how to discern certain situations, but also to be discerning with people. But one thing we have to really guard ourselves as we use discernment as Christians, which is, discernment is this amazing gift that God has given to the body of Christ to protect the flock. Like, my job as your shepherd is to guard you From false teachings and stuff that's going to take you away from Christ. And God has given me a certain measure of discernment. And God has given you discernment. And it's an amazing gift to protect us from stuff that tries to creep in and discourage us and take us out. But God wants to give you discernment. He wants to give you the ability to discern. But one of the challenges is, is it's easy for people that have discernment or as we're discerning to become overly critical or to lean into our own attitudes and opinions, in particular about people. And that's why we need to start with the heart. We need to fix your heart first. Because how many of you know that we can be critical? How many know that our attitudes and opinions about other people are so often wrong? Amen? So we need God to fix our heart first. Once He fixes our heart, then by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can actually discern rightly. You tracking? And so this passage of Scripture talks about, Jesus talked about first cleaning the inside of the cup. That the outside may also be clean. God provided a way for our hearts to be made clean. For our motives to be right. And it's the process of cutting away our sinful nature. The Bible says, For we are the circumcision. What on earth does that mean? We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul here is using contrasting language to talk about the physical act of circumcision doesn't mean anything anymore as it relates to our relationship with God. The true circumcision is the fact that Jesus Christ has cut away our sinful nature from our heart, and we have the freedom now to be different. We can worship now because Jesus has made a way for us to be actually different people. God, thank you that I'm free today, that I'm free to be different, that I'm no longer a slave to having to follow the obligations of my selfish desires. That's what Paul is saying. We are those people. And Paul writes to multiple churches, the church in Rome, the church in Galatia, the church in Philippi, the church in Colossae. He mentions this in all those letters to say that you're free now. Circumcision, it says in Romans, is a matter of the heart by the spirit. It's not by the letter or law. It's something that God does in your heart. Paul says to the church in Colossae, he says this, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. This is amazing stuff, guys. Jesus, the gospel is so much more than just forgiveness of sin. The good news about Jesus is that God has cut away our sinful nature and given us the ability to live differently. Jesus performed spiritual surgery on our heart. He performed an invasive procedure and cut away that selfish nature that we all have so that we no longer have to be controlled by our sinful nature. That is just awesome, guys. Like, we need to get fired up about this stuff. This is the gospel. This is good news for you and good news for me. Because you and I no longer have to be controlled by our own selfish nature. And how many of us, before we come to Christ, remember how miserable a lifestyle it was for us to be controlled by our own selfishness? Man, let me just straight up, that life sucked. Did it not? Wasn't it terrible to live As a slave under our own selfishness. And the gospel of Jesus is this. Jesus suffered and died on the cross to break you free from that nature that was so ingrained inside of you. It's by the cross of Christ that the power of sin has been broken. And not just broken. You're not just free to no longer have to live a following that nature, what came natural to you. God promises to give you a new nature. Second Peter chapter 1 says he's given us his divine nature. He's placed his Holy Spirit inside of you. You see, the blood and body of Jesus was broken and shed for you to clean the inside of your cup so God could put his very own presence, his Holy Spirit, his divine nature inside of you. And so your natural desire is no longer to live selfishly, But to live and honor God and bless your neighbor and to love those that are around you. And it's supernatural. It's Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 and 13. For it is God who works in you to give you both the will and the power. The desire is now there. Before it wasn't there. It was Romans 7 The good that I want to do, I don't do. And the bad stuff I'm not supposed to do, I end up doing. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death? You know who can? Jesus. And he cut away that selfish disposition that each and every one of us have. And he gives us his spirit that empowers us to now honor God. To have the desire to live a life pleasing to him. But guess what? That's nothing that you and I accomplished. That's nothing that keeps us with right relationship with God. That's all the work that Jesus did on our behalf. It's because his body was broken and his his blood was shed. That we now are free from that being a slave to sin, as Romans says. And now we have this ability to honor God with how we live our lives. But that only comes through the broken body in the shed blood of Jesus. The Bible teaches us that Jesus took our sin upon himself. He nailed it to a cross. And that his blood was shed, and this is a mystery. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't make sense because blood stains things but not the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus cleans the inside of our cup. The Bible says in Hebrews that our hearts have been, our conscience has been cleansed by the sprinkling blood of Jesus. Jesus has made a way for the inside of your cup to be clean. And he cleaned it on purpose. He cleaned the inside of your cup, not to just leave it empty. He cleaned the inside of your cup so he could fill it with his very own presence and give you the power to live differently. Not based on your works. But based on his work. I'm going to invite the connection team to come up. And they're going to pass out these elements. Man. ah, oh, I just love what Jesus has done for us. I love that. There's this hope of being different. Man. What a dreary life. It would be. As a follower of Jesus. If we didn't have hope of being different. Having to like do all these things but not have the power and ability to live it out but through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus we have this ability now to live our lives for Him so we're going to sing and worship but then we're going to come back and take these elements and so I'm going to invite you um, after you take the elements if you want to stand to your feet and sing along and maybe just reflect. Maybe you're here tonight and you know that God made you different. You know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, but you've been living the old way and you know that's not who you are anymore. Maybe this is an opportunity as you reflect to say, God, would you just forgive me? Would you forgive me for the way that I'm living? Because I know that's not the way you want. You may be new. Now, God, would you give me the desire to be different? Communion is an opportunity for us to examine ourselves and so maybe, maybe you don't want to stand. Maybe you just want to sit and reflect and say, "God, I'm sorry. I just want to repent of this stuff." And I want to just try getting on the wheel and just trying and trying and trying. That's just not going to work, guys. But if you come to Jesus and say, "God, would you forgive me? God, would you give me what I need to live a life pleasing to you?" He said, "Yeah, I got you. I already did it. And I'll give you the will. I'll give you the desire. But don't trust in your own good behavior." Trust in what he's done for you. So we just take some time to reflect. If you want to stand and sing, you can. If you want to sit and just wait on the Lord, and then we'll take these here in a second here.